Welcome to a special episode of Red Tinted Glasses. This week, we're joined by former Aberdeen player, Richie Byrne. Richie, welcome to the show. How's it going, guys? And uh, thank you for having me. Thanks very much for joining us. And Callum, exciting to have a former player on. Very, very excited. A bit more positive Aberdeen-related content for you, so hopefully people will enjoy. Yeah, I'm sure they will. Um, Richie played 59 times for the Dons, scoring twice. Although we did speak on before recording, you did um, play in 10 friendlies and you also scored four times in friendlies. So maybe your stats are slightly altered, but fond memories of your time at Aberdeen overall? Yeah, guys, I would have to say it's, it's the longest I've spent at any club professionally, apart from my boys club in Dublin. So, of course, it's going to be very close to my heart. You know, it's a, it's a fantastic club. I had a great time there. Met some amazing players, and obviously the management were fantastic as well. Uh, they and obviously I knew the management from Dunfermline, and they brought me up to Aberdeen. So I that I spent all my time basically in Scotland with those guys, mm-hmm. and they brought some of the players from Dunfermline up to Aberdeen. So it was a great time. It was I have to say it was an amazing time to play football. Yeah, and I think those of you those of you that are tuning into this episode that follow Richie on social media will see on his Instagram, he does post pictures more often of him in his Aberdeen kit than any other team, I think it's fair to say. So obviously it does come across that there is fond memories there. You signed for Aberdeen in January 2005, like you said, from, from Dunfermline. We will get into that in a, a little bit, but we'll just take it back to the beginning of your career. What was it like? growing up in Ireland and playing football in Ireland, obviously played 56 times for Shamrock Rovers before moving to Dunfermline. So just kind of give us a bit of an insight into your career in Ireland. Um, it's Football in Ireland, when I started playing football, it was, it's, it's seen as an English sport. So in our schools in Ireland, we have, we have Gaelic football. So you play Gaelic football or hurling. And if you want to play soccer, it's a little bit of a... The teachers don't really like you to play soccer. So, um, I wasn't great at, at um, I wasn't great at Gaelic football, right? You've got to use your hands. You've got to solo the ball as you run. And you have to... There's, there's certain things in it you're allowed to do that you're not allowed to do in football. So, you're allowed to fight in Gaelic football. So, you're allowed... But you have to fight with your near hand, if you understand. You're allowed to punch them and slap them. Uh, and I couldn't really understand it. I would just hit them. Um, and we, one time we had a game and this team had a girl playing and she was unbelievable. And she just beat the life out of me. Now, I always played a year younger, a year or two younger. So I was playing the older group and this girl just beat the life out of me. And the teacher at halftime said to me, he said, Born, if you don't hit that girl back, you're coming off. I said, so I can't hit her back. I can't. He said, she's beating the life out of you. You better hit her or you're off. So sure enough, I didn't hit her and he took me off and I didn't play for the team again. So that meant I was free to play soccer. So I played soccer then and I moved from club to club and I I improved. I ended up playing for a team called Stella Maris, which are quite a, a national team. They're, they're well known. We were brought up to the Milk Cup. Um, and then I subsequently got trials in Wolverhampton Wanderers. Was doing really well there. And... Um, I then went to Tranmere, and then I actually got a move to another Dublin club called Belvedere, who are one of the more successful mm-hmm. clubs as well. And funny enough, my granddad played for them, and so did my uncle. So we have a bit of a family lineage that played yeah. for Belvedere. 
So from Belvedere, one of the managers took me to Shamrock Rovers once I finished. So I played until I was 18. Um, we, I moved to Shamrock Rovers and I got a groin injury over there. I had osteitis pubis and I didn't play for about seven months. I got back and then the, the doc said, you know, I'll never forget the doc. He was a, he was a great, uh, great guy, the doc there. And he says to me, now, if you come back from this, you're going to play in the first team. So make sure you get back. So we got me back, they got me right, and I played. I played in the first team, did really well. And then we got a guy called Noel Hunt, who you, you probably yeah. know played for Dundee. Mm-hmm. So he came in, and then it was literally me and him uh, that were doing really well. And we actually played against Celtic in a friendly. And he played up front against Bobo Balde, and I played in mm-hmm. midfield against Paul Lambert. Oh, nice. And <laughs> we were only 19, I only 19, 20. And the two of us did really well, you know. And that's Jimmy. The two Jimmys came to watch that game, and okay. that's where Noel got his move. And then they subsequently they realised that I was actually a left back playing in midfield. So uh, I was playing left back, centre back. Uh, mm-hmm. So they they said, right, he's actually all right. We can we'll take him after a few months, you know. So that's I got me moved to Scotland then. So Ireland was it was great to play football. It was very very tough, very very physical. Um, but lucky enough, the club I went to Shamrock Rovers. We had some unbelievable players. We had a guy there that used to play at Liverpool and he was with uh, Jamie Redknapp, Steve McManaman and him. His name is Mark Kenny. And Jan, Johan Malby, Johan, Jan Malby, Jan Malby mm-hmm. taught him how to take free kicks and he actually scored a free kick against Celtic. So we drew 1-1 with Celtic mm-hmm. uh, in that game and he actually took me under his wing and I think without him, I don't think I would have got into the first team and been so comfortable in a first team. So mm-hmm. he was great and we had a great dressing room. And I think that really helped me settle into professional football because there was a lot of stress. So I was I was working as an electrician at the time. So I was working full time and then I had to go from work to train and three nights a week and then a match on a Friday night. So it was tough. It was very tough, but uh, it was great times, you know, fantastic. And then obviously to get the move over to Scotland was a big step up and it was fantastic. Yeah. And then just before Calm um, asked one of his questions, I just want to just briefly touch on you obviously had a, a, a decent decent time at Dunfermline um, getting to a Scottish Cup final. What was what was that like, playing in a Cup final? Well, that was my first year in Scotland. Uh, the year before, I'd actually played in the Irish Cup final. Um, so in my head, I was thinking, James, this is easy, getting to finals is great. <laughs> you know? so, then you came uh, to Aberdeen. But <laughs> <yeah. laughs> well, we ended up losing the final, to be fair, against Celtic. Now, we played a very good Celtic team. They were an unbelievable team. And only now, when I look back, I realise how good they actually were. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I used to watch Alan Shearer and Chris Sutton, and they were dynamite together. And you think Chris Sutton actually played for Celtic, you know, and they had yeah. John Hartson from Arsenal, and they had Henrik Larsson, who then went on to Man United and Barcelona. Mm-hmm. And basically won the Champions League for Barcelona, you know, with two unbelievable assists. And you think, flipping hell, what a team they had. So to play that team in the cup final in Henrik Larsson's last game for Celtic was an amazing achievement. It was a great run and we were very lucky. And I tell you, we, I was very lucky because uh, obviously I have some serious memories of the semi-final when it was actually my mistake for the goal of Cali mm-hmm. Kissel and okay. Craig Brewster got me out of jail with a header from heaven. You know, he was unbelievable. How he scored his header, I don't know. So I'm very thankful to Craig Bruce and also Barry Nick. And the two of them came up to Aberdeen. Mm-hmm. But Barry Nick scored an unbelievable goal in Pitodri in the replay against Cali Thistle. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that, that that final was, it was something else. I've never seen so many Dunfermline fans. I don't think anybody has. 
you know, they were coming out on a woodwork. It was brilliant. Um, and people who are sitting on the fence all got tickets and they all came. We actually, funny enough, about 30 Shamrock Rovers players, uh, sorry, uh, Shamrock Rovers fans got tickets for the game and came to Hamden and watched oh, nice. the match. So they actually came to the hotel before the game, were sitting with me and Noel Hunt. And Jimmy, this is the type of guy Jimmy is, Obviously, we all went to bed at about nine o'clock, and Jimmy sat there drinking with him and having a chat with him <laughs> and making them feel good and brought him in and let them meet all the players. You oh, know? And that's the type of guy he would be. And then when the match happened, so in the warm up, they all came to the side of the pitch. They were all singing mine and Noel's name. It was mm. it was unbelievable. And I think they actually sat in the Celtic game as well. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so they were cheering for us while in the Celtic game. Yeah. But I don't think anybody was going to say anything to them because there was a, there was a few serious guys there. Um, but yeah, it was a great it was a great experience and just a shame that with Aberdeen we missed out. There was one game I really wish we had a won. I think we would have done well and got to a final. Uh, I think it was Dundee United away. Um, and yeah, that we think Castle. Yeah, semi final. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I, I really think we would have we would have got through if we had to beat them there. You know, uh, mm-hmm. but look, that's the way it is. That's the way football goes. You have to accept the losses, but you never forget the losses. It's the one no. they <laughs> eat at you for the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the Irish Cup final and then the Scottish Cup final. How did you find the transition from moving from the League of Ireland to uh, Scotland? How did you find that? I thought it was very tough. The pace was so quick and Jimmy's training was crazy. They were doing passing drills that I had never seen and never been involved in. I couldn't believe the ball was moving that fast and so many balls were moving at the same time because we usually play with one ball and everybody you know, has a, a part in the rotation. Jimmy would have two and three and four balls going at the one time. It is a million miles an hour um, and it took me about six months to catch up to the lads. I realised firstly that obviously everybody was physically more strong and they were fitter. Body fats were right down. So there wasn't many, if there was any, there was there was probably two players that you'd say might be carrying a little bit. Whereas in Ireland, there's probably seven or eight. You know, but uh, yeah, you go to Scotland, people are a lot more muscular uh, and the runs were unbelievable. Oh my God. The runs we, we had to do were just phenomenal. So I think that was that was the main difference. And then obviously I remember one of my first games for Dunfermline. I played against Hearts, one of my first games on the first team. And I had to mark a guy, I think his name was McKenna, big tall fella. And mm-hmm. I think he he could play all around the park for Hearts. And he beat me in every header. And I was used to winning every header. Mm-hmm. And he beat me in nearly every header. And I, I ended up um he got through on goal. And somehow I had a great bit of, I had a great burst of pace back in them days, and I caught him, you know. And and he, we we averted. I think we, I think it was a one-all draw that game, but I did very well. So Jimmy was delighted, and you know I did well, and the, the, all the the papers come in, they talk to you, and you feel great. But I did say to them, I remember, I'll never forget saying it was very very quick, and the guys are huge, you know. They had Phil mm-hmm. Stamp playing there that day as well, so they did a few, and Mark the Free they did a couple of huge oh, yeah. guys. So it, the physicality was. It was serious. It was a big step up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's good to kind of hear what the difference is between different leagues. Um, and now you, you've obviously touched on um, Jimmy Calderwood and his training methods. He came to Aberdeen before you did. Um, when did you first hear of um, Aberdeen's interest in you? Um, I remember my agent ringing me saying, listen, Jimmy might want you to go up. And that was sorted, and it went a little bit quiet. 
Um, and then I heard he was at a game. Dunfermline played away to Dundee United, and we went one nil down. I passed the ball back to Andre Skerla, <laughs> and he miscontrolled it. Dundee United went through and scored. Andre blamed me, right? <laughs> and I took that very personally. So I, uh, I sort of went mad a little bit at him, and then I thought, you know what, we're going to get a goal back. And I, lucky enough, I assisted two goals, and then we, I think we beat them two one or three one, and Jimmy was at the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after that then I heard a couple of the newspapers were saying Jimmy was watching me and I didn't really know I didn't really think he was and funny enough then I got I got a call my agent said listen Jimmy's watched it and he wants you and Dunfermline are willing to let you go now yeah. I had had a bit of, a couple of problems at Dunfermline mm-hmm. and it's mad right now when, when you when you come out of football you can sort of talk about these things a bit easier but when you're in it, you can't really say stuff. So, you know, when you watch Man United and you hear Paul Pogba and the agent and all these guys talking, and you think, mm-hmm. I don't know what the real story is. Players can't really say much because you're still in the game and you don't mm-hmm. want to bring any club or your agent or yourself into disrepute. So you have to be very careful what you say. So I don't really, I haven't really talked about this, you know, but things that happen in clubs behind closed doors when and fans don't know and the newspapers don't know and all of a sudden the player leaves. A lot of things happen behind the scenes that people don't hear about and know about. And uh, and things like that were happening, and they happen at every club. But a couple of things happened at Dunfermline, and I was very happy to leave. Um, so uh, so it just worked out well for everybody. Aberdeen paid Dunfermline what they paid for me. Dunfermline had got their use on me. I was happy to go, and Aberdeen were happy to get me. So it actually it just worked out well for everybody. Um, mm-hmm. And Dunfermline were starting to slide. They were starting to slide down. There was a couple of things happening behind the scenes. Um, and I was very lucky and fortunate to get out at that period. Yeah. And then, obviously, I presume Jimmy Calder was also a massive uh, influence on you wanting to come up to Aberdeen, having worked with him previously. Was there any other other impact, uh, other influences about Aberdeen that maybe wanted you that made you more likely to go there rather than anyone else, perhaps? I heard it was a great night out. <laughs> <laughs> but to to be honest, that um the. People did explain to me that it was a nicer city. Uh, it was quite big and it was good for young lads. So young, and I'd just recently become single as well, so I was very happy to move <laughs> to a place like Aberdeen. And, uh, you know, so, so that, that was part of, of, of the lure. But, um, but no, look, I was, I was just very happy to go and train and work with Jimmy because he was actually a, a father figure to me. And when I first moved to Dunfermline, I actually stayed in Jimmy's house. Uh, when mm-hmm. I was when I forced me, and that's the type of guy he was. So you hear, you don't hear all these little things. Mm-hmm. So Jimmy, Sandy Clark, and Jimmy uh, Nickel, they were fantastic to me, and I loved them. Uh, and I would, if they had went to Timbuktu, I would have went there with, <laughs> you know, and I, I would have ran through a wall for them because I really, really loved them. Mm-hmm. Um, and even the likes of, you know, Sandy Clark, right? His wife and Sandy offered to bring my kid down and up from Dunfermline because Sandy's wife would come and Sandy would also come from, uh, there's a place near Livingston that they lived and they would pass through Dunfermline. Mm-hmm. And she was like, listen, I'll go and get your kid to stop you driving all the way down, driving all the way up, you know, because I was under a lot of stress to go and get mm-hmm. my kid in, at that period when I'd moved from Aberdeen. That's why my first couple of years at Aberdeen were very tough. I was under a lot of pressure off the field that only now I sort of can comprehend and understand what it was and what was happening. 
Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm honest with myself now when I look back and I say, right, but that's actually what was happening. But Sandy would offer to drop me, drop me kid down and bring him back. And things like that you don't forget. So these mm-hmm. guys were fantastic, fantastic coaches and people. Yeah, and I think it's it's quite clear the affection is, and I hope it's coming through to those of you that are tuning in, just the affection you sort of have for Jimmy Calderwood. Um, you, you spoke about how quick the training was when you moved to Dunfermline. Um, was it the same at Aberdeen? Just how good a manager is Jimmy Calderwood? Because I feel like for me, you know, I'm 28 and Jimmy Calderwood's era was the first kind of era of football at Aberdeen that I really enjoyed. Yes, the the style some people would said would have said wasn't great, but we always ground out results under Jimmy. Just how good was he? Because I kind of feel he's a bit underrated. Look, he, uh, he's not going to be like Pep Guardiola and, <laughs> and you know, probably Jurgen Klopp. And, like, you have to remember, right, I think Jimmy was more about style and attitude and more about getting good people into a club. If you weren't a good guy uh, and a, if you hadn't got a good attitude, I don't think he wanted you, right? Okay. And he would weed people out very quickly that he felt hadn't got heart, didn't try, or... You know, just didn't have steel in them. Like he, he, he actually got rid of David Grondon at Dunfermline, who was at Arsenal, and he took me in ahead of David because <laughs> he felt that David wasn't suited to the Scottish game. He didn't have enough heart to fight. Mm-hmm. You know, like now I'm probably speaking out of turn on Jimmy's behalf about this, but that's the impression I got because David was a good player, very technical. Like he was mm-hmm. brilliant on the ball. He was very, very good. Now, yeah. but when it came to chasing someone back and a last ditch tackle, and you know, and probably nailing someone. That had to be nailed to set a tone for a game. I don't think David is that player, you know. Yeah. And and I never forget it was it was Barry Nick and Noel when I first went on trial to Dunfermline from Shamrock Rovers. Baz goes. I was in the car with Baz. He was driving me to to train him, and uh, my first training session in Scotland. And Baz says to me, "Listen, Mitchie, just bleed and smash everyone, right?" <laughs> and I said, "Okay." He said, "The gaffer loves that, right?" Now, Jimmy was. You knew your place, right? So at the start of the season, we'd all have... He'd put a board up, like a, and he'd have all the positions there. And your name would be on three or four positions in the positions that he would expect you to be able to play. Right? Mm-hmm. So I had to play. I had to, be able, I had to be able to. So when we would do stuff, I had to know what was happening in these other positions, right? And that was mm-hmm. the same for every player. Mm-hmm. You'd have, I had to know centre-back, left-back, left-wing, left-wing-back, left side of uh, inside midfield right and um, and a left of a tree I think a left of a tree because he put me there once right uh, so you had to know what everyone had to do what was expected of you so at the start of every game you'd have your, your name in your little triangle uh, and he'd have all the 11 players and he'd have little arrows to say right this is where you're going to move today you're going to do this you're going to do that this is who you're up against set pieces were all done so it was pretty standard in training Obviously, we were very, very fit. So there was a lot of fitness sessions, uh, a lot of sprints, a good amount of ball work, but the games were just extremely fast. Now, when you talk about being a manager, like there were certain things he'd focus on, but I don't think he went into too depth, too much depth. It was more, um, it was more making us as players want to win. And mm-hmm. you can go into all the tactics you want, right? If you really want to win more than the other fella you're playing against, you're going to win. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes technical ability isn't going, to, isn't going to win the match for you. 
and it's mm-hmm. got to be a drive and a desire. And if you look at every player in that team back then, I don't think there was anybody that hadn't got desire. And I think we, we, we matched every team for desire. Now, some games you might have just played bad, you know, but I think the desire and the will to win, I think we had a great will to win in that team, a good team camaraderie, and we outworked a lot of teams to get the win. Um, but Jimmy was mad, right? If, if we were playing Celtic and we, we went down, we went down like 1-0 or 2-0, he'd say to you, right, we're going two at the back, four in midfield and four in the back. And sometimes we pull out a result and come out with a draw, you know, or a win, you know. So, Why not? Like, he just had that thing about him that he, it was just all or nothing sometimes, you know. And more times than not, we got the results. Uh, I'll never forget the time I got sent off against Motherwell at home. You know, that guy, David Clarkson, he pretended mm. I, he was pulling me back when I had the ball. I took the ball off and I was dribbling away. And he pulled me back, so I went. To, I, I sort of half swung, but mm. I was like twisting to get away from him. And he jumped on the ground and pretended that I elbowed, elbowed him in the face. I got, and I never got to get him back for that. He, he's still in me black book. So if I ever play, if I ever play in a charity game and he's playing, that fella is gonna, he's gonna get it. He's gonna get it. Right? See what I said about not forgetting. You never forget nothing. So, um, so I got sent off. Right, I couldn't believe it. And Jimmy said to me, if you've done that, you're getting done two weeks wages, right? So I was thinking, I don't even, I don't even think I hit him. So um, he, again, he went, everyone attacked. Darren Mackey scored two goals. I think we beat mm-hmm. him 3-2. No, it so, was, um, so, it was, it was two it was all. Two I actually, it's funny, it's funny you bring that up. I actually watched that game today. I, like I said to you before, you can tell I had a busy day at work, but if my manager's <laughs> listening to this, I was actually busy. Um, and yeah, I think it was pretty impressive from David Clarkson headbutting your elbow the way he did because um, there's a there's a cracking photo of you staring down Craig Thompson um, at the decision of the red card. So yeah, you can tell you didn't no take way. it well. Oh, I've never been so angry, and I had to I had to walk out. I never forget Richie Foran coming over to me and said, "Leave him," because I was gonna. I was I was gonna take it to the streets, you know, but I was I was ready to kill him. I, I, ready to, I said, "I'll give you something to go down about." So uh, so yeah, I was I was absolutely raging. But um, but there you go. But Jimmy was great like that. He would just turn he would turn the game around at half time. He'd say something to you, and he'd just fire you up. Or before the game, uh, he'd, he'd come over and chat to you before the game and tell you what your job was. And then Jimmy Nickel, Jimmy. Column was really tough, and then Jimmy Nickel would make you feel a bit less stressed, you know, because Jimmy was very, uh, he's very intimidating. And then Jimmy Collarwood was a bit of la- or, sorry, Jimmy Nickel was a bit of laugh, uh, and he'd, he'd calm you down and just say, Come on, son, you're, you're grand, you know, do a bit of this. And Jimmy Nickel was great for me at the start of the game. He'd have two of the center halves and the two fullbacks, and he'd clip little balls into you, you know, and he'd put really awkward passes in, so you had to take a touch and clip it, and he'd tell you what to do. And then by the time the game came, you were ready. You were ready to deal with any type of ball that was played in. So, yeah, they were, listen, they were great. They were very good. Good. Um, and one question. We know Jimmy loves a tan, um, seemed to just tan as soon as he hit the sun. So did he spend more time tanning himself or did he spend a lot more time on tactics? <laughs> I'll never forget the time. One time he came back from holiday, uh, came back from pre-season, and he was purple. I've never seen a white person so dark in my life. I don't know what colour his lips were. His lips were a mad colour that I've never seen before. But uh, but yeah, he was he, he wasn't even brown or orange, he was purple. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> so we all had a bit of a laugh. When we seen him when he came in the room, we all just we couldn't even look at each other because you knew 
if I look at him, I'm gonna laugh. So <laughs> I gotta just I gotta just look at the floor. You can't make eye contact with any of the other lads because you'll just start laughing. But um, but yeah, we he was great crack. Um, but yeah, the time was the time was something else, you mm-hmm. know. But uh, he did get a little bit of stick over it. But uh, yeah. but look, that was his thing, you know. We had a house in Spain. He was always away, and he he had a good life. He enjoyed himself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jimmy sounds obviously brilliant, both on and off the pitch. It's an awful shame uh, what's happened to him with the illness. I was just wondering if you maybe kept in touch with him uh, when you both left Aberdeen. Yeah, I, I talked to Jimmy Nickel a bit more, but I, I talked mm. to Jimmy Collard a couple of times. I gave him a few texts, um, and I actually I was actually due to meet him the day of the cup final of Aberdeen Celtic. I went up to it in Hamden there a couple of years ago and mm. I lost my phone the day before so I didn't get a chance to actually meet him. I had a time and a place to meet him before the game and I lost my phone the day before the bloody game. So I didn't get a chance to catch up with him which was a nightmare. But mm. um, but yeah, I've uh, we're actually, I'm on a WhatsApp with all the lads in the firm and, and we're literally, we're all getting, we got his number and we're going to text him now as well. So a couple of the lads have texted him. So I'll text him again and uh, just wish him well and stuff, you know. But it's it is. I've seen Colin Nish put out a tweet there as well last week about it, saying that he met him and that Jimmy didn't really know him. So it's mm. very very sad, you know. Yeah. It's, it's it's very hard for everyone involved. And obviously I send all my best wishes to Jimmy and his family. And you know, because it's a tough one for everybody. It's a very tough thing for his loved ones, you know, to go through mm-hmm. when he's when he's like this. Yeah, and, and that's um, lovely words there, Richie. And I think myself and Calm both echo that sentiment that you that you put forward there. Yeah, absolutely, definitely. So, Richie, back to yourself and your your time at Aberdeen. You made your debut um, in Aberdeen's two hundredth Scottish Cup game uh, against Inverness Caledonian Thistle in February of two thousand and five. Do you remember much from your debut? I don't remember that debut at all. <laughs> at all. What score was it? Do you know? Um, well, now you're putting my research on the spot because I don't think I wrote the score down. I just wrote it. <laughs> Did we win? Did we win? I'm going to say yes, but I'm sure plenty of people will correct me. I think we did win that game. Um, but you made your league debut uh, the following week uh, against your former team in Dunfermline. What was it like making your league debut against your former side? Do you remember it was, that? One? It was, yeah, yeah, I remember that one. I remember that. I remember that too well. I remember that game too well because I actually got tonsillitis two days before, so I was okay. dying sick. I was absolutely dying sick, and I didn't want to pull out a game. And I'll never forget. I was rooming with Chris Clark, and mm-hmm. I was like, "Clarky, I can't bleed and stand up." The night before the game, I was like, "I actually can't stand up." Uh, I said, "I need tablets. Will you go to the shop and get me tablets?" Uh, I had to get bleeding. I had to get painkillers. I had to get uh, anti-inflammatories. And I was absolutely dying. And I'll never forget the day of the game. I was thinking, I just got to get through this game. I can't pull out last minute. Um, and so the warm-up was going on. I was thinking, oh, my God, how am I going to play this? So I started to feel a little bit better as, the, as I got warmed up. And then we started the game. And I could feel from the start, this is going to be a tough game for me. Mm-hmm. This is going to be, t- I'm half a yard off of it. Um, and I was playing, they got this new lad in. What was his name? And he actually, he did very well. They did striker and he actually played very, very well. But mm-hmm. they actually did all right that game, uh, Dunfermline. And I, um, I had the mark. I can't remember the lad I had the mark. I think I played left back. I might have played left back in the game. But I didn't mm-hmm. have a great game. And I'll never forget Simon Donnelly scored. I slipped. Yeah. And Simon Donnelly scored. I've never been so disgusted at myself and my life 
<laughs> you know, if, and I was getting awful stick from the Dunfermline fans. Um, it was a very, very tough game to play. I was getting mm-hmm. awful stick from the far side when I went over. Mm. And it, it, it was just a horrible game. It was a horrible day. Look, I would have loved to, to, to win the game and, and I've got out of it, luckily. But uh, yeah, it was a, it was a, that was one of the games that you'd like to forget. Yeah, we weren't actually going to bring up that you made a mistake in that game. We said we thought we'd better leave that, but um, since you said, it's fine, nice of you to bring it up instead. But um, it might not have been the start you were after, but um, after that, you did go on a six-game, un- well, not just you personally, but the team went on a six-game un- unbeaten run, and you only conceded two goals in that time, one of the games so you didn't actually play in uh, against Dundee, and that was one of the games we conceded, so... Five games, you then went on to play, only conceding one. So, so good way of putting a mistake behind you. I was going to say, did he drop me for those games? But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, thank God for that. Um, you know what, right? I, it's, it's a strange thing because you, you make mistakes like that and you just never forget it. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I said earlier, you don't forget being beaten. You don't forget that feeling. Uh, that wasn't a great week for me, but... I would have to say I thought I was a very, very good defender. And that was the one thing that Jimmy knew. He knew I was very good 1v1 and I was very good at covering other people. Now, technically, I think I should have done better. I think I actually got better technically when I left Aberdeen, funny okay. enough. But I, I just think I should have probably worked. I should have understood what I needed to do earlier. And I think that's something, so, uh, I don't know if that's a trait with a lot of people, but I think sometimes as young footballers, we sort of, think we might get away with it and we don't really look at ourselves and say right what do I need to do to get to the next level and we don't put ourselves under enough pressure and we don't criticise ourselves enough like that game put me under a lot of pressure from the media because after that game because I was so angry I was quite rude to the media after the game and Jimmy slaughtered me to them so they started straight away what do you think of your gaffer saying this about you and I, Mm. I was so angry in general but then when I heard them saying that to me about Jimmy talking about me that I was infuriated so I just I was just pretty rude you know and ever mm-hmm. ever since that I think I've got a hard time from most of the media even when I played certain games they, they'd give me a five and I thought I was a seven or an eight you know <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think the fans thought I was a two but um but, but yeah, I um, I got a bit of a hard time from them after that game. But uh, and I put myself under pressure, I think, from that game. But after that, yeah, I think I picked up well. I think I did well for a while. And mm-hmm. you know, as I talked about earlier, um, you know, off the field problems sort of followed me then up to up to Aberdeen. I think my form dropped. Um, and yeah, it was a very it was a, the first year in Aberdeen was a very very tough time. Mm-hmm. Moving on to a slightly more positive note, you'll enjoy this. Uh, your first home goal came against Hearts on the last day of the season, um, which saw a very impassioned celebration. Uh, what was it like scoring for Aberdeen? Uh, there's two Aberdeen fans here. Uh, one, I played at Aberdeen, uh, played at Pataudry once, lost 3-0 in the cup final for the school. Terrible. And Glenn uh, messed up in the halftime entertainment and missed a th- uh, one-on-one. So uh, oh, wow. just what, what was yeah. it like scoring for Aberdeen? Yeah, since both of us failed miserably at the opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you know what? It's an unbelievable feeling when you score a goal. It's, you just can't recreate it and you can't explain to anybody what you feel. And obviously I had a lot of feelings had built up over a few months that when I got that, and we really needed to win that game. We really mm-hmm. needed to win that game. I think we needed to get four 
I think if we had got 4-0, I think we would have got into Europe. And I think mm. we only won 3-0, I think. But uh, Phil Maguire hit an absolute rocket off the, off the post as well. Um, and yeah, I, I think I got the first goal from a Seve free kick. And I, yeah, that's I, right. It was a bullet header from mm-hmm. about 15 yards and beat Craig Gordon. So uh, I was delighted with that header. I thought it was a great header. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I got that goal. And it was just an unbelievable feeling, you know. And I went over to the size of pitch that gave me the most stick. And that's <laughs> the reason why they got that celebration. Um, but uh, but it was great to score, and and I sort of gave the fans a bit of a sort of insight that I do care, I do want to play well, and I was a good player because I I, play, I actually played very well that game as well. Um, and I think I gave them an insight into right. He's decent. He can actually play when he's when he's right and when he's on it. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, one of the things I was speaking to a guy at work today, and he did say. Um, that he does remember you scoring the other goal you scored that season was against Dundee United in a 4-1 defeat uh, in the Scottish Cup but he says the one thing he remembers from that game is your passion in scoring we were 2-0 down when you did score but he said the passion that you showed in your celebration made him believe that we would actually come back and get a result ultimately though maybe no one else shared that passion that you had Yeah, we always think you're going to do something, you know, and, and I just, uh, just, with the team we had, and obviously with myself, I just never believe I'm beaten, I just don't believe anyone can beat me, you know, mm-hmm. in my head, I just think whoever it is, they're not going to get by me, they're not going to do me, they might get by me, but I believe they're never going it, to, it, I'm too good, so in your head as a defender, you sort of have to think that, and you have to think the worst, um, and you have to believe that these fellas are not going to get by you, so as a defender, I sort of thought that, Obviously, we got battered 4-1, you know, we can see yeah. the four goals. So that's my fault as well, you know. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, you, you just think, you just have to really never give up. And that's one thing I think I always had, no matter what the score was, I just never, I could never throw down to us, oh, well, we're 2-0 down now, let's just stop trying. Mm-hmm. You know, you just can't ever do that. I'm too, you, you, I'm, I'm too stubborn anyway to ever allow that to happen. Um, mm-hmm. and, you, and you could never do that with Jimmy. Yeah. So that was another thing. If he ever caught you, <clears throat> if he ever caught you doing that, you're out and you'll never play again. He, uh, he actually, I'll never forget this. We were in training one day, and I was only there a few months, and it was a, it was a training game at the end of the session. So we'd done all the hard work. It was a training game at the end of the session, and my team was getting battered about four or five nil, right? So one of the boys passed me the ball, and one of the the guys, uh, what was his name, Miko. Miko was coming towards me and I called it about two seconds early and I shouted nuts and I nutsed him and ran around him and took the ball and played the ball into someone. Jimmy went off his head. I was like, Gaffer, I went by him. He said, your, your team is losing 4-0 and you're nutsing people. He went ballistic. Can you ever do that again? You won't play. <laughs> so you couldn't even mess and do things like that, you know, in training. So, in a game, you just you could never stop. You could never give up. You know. Brilliant. Um, we've got some kind of light-hearted questions before we get into the the next couple of seasons. Just questions, I suppose, us as Aberdeen fans are interested to know when we speak to former players. So, um, my question was, um, what was the atmosphere like, um, either home and away, when we were playing either side of the old firm? Oh, um. Well, obviously, away games are brilliant. You know, you go to Celtic and Rangers, and it's an amazing atmosphere. You know, my first time ever going mm-hmm. there was at the Um and it was great. 
you go there with Aberdeen and it's a bit different. You go there with Aberdeen, it's different to going there with the Fairman. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Fairman, like the fans are like five nil, five nil as we're going in the bus. Right. So <laughs> I'd be thinking, what is going on here? My first time ever seeing that, I was like, who do these fellas think they are telling those they're going to beat us 5 0? And then Larson scores three. You know, but, but like on the way in, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, who do these fellas think they are? Do they, do they not know who we are? So you go up there with Aberdeen, and it's a bit different. The fans treat you a bit differently because mm-hmm. they recognise that Aberdeen is a big club that we have, you know, I'm not going to say we have better players, but there's probably more history behind Aberdeen, and Aberdeen have historically done better than Dunfermline. So, and Aberdeen have a history getting in between them two, you know, and mm-hmm. beating them. Mm-hmm. So, there's more expectation from our fans going away, where I think in Dunfermline, the fans are sort of happy to go there, whereas Aberdeen, they're sort of thinking, well, we want to come away with a point. You know, mm-hmm. we're looking for a draw, whereas Dunfermline, you're sort of looking, you're trying not to get battered 3, 4, 5 nil, you know. Mm-hmm. So, and I think Jimmy had that sort of attitude as well. And when, when we went there with Aberdeen, he was thinking, like, we'll get results here. You know, mm-hmm. especially Rangers. Now, I didn't realise that Jimmy actually supported Rangers and Jimmy Nickel, you know, they, they, they were sort of Rangers men. Yeah. But they hated Rangers, right? They And they hated losing to them, right? So you couldn't mm-hmm. lose to them. Um, so that was even more amplified, I think, with the fact that Aberdeen don't get on with Rangers. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, from, from I found out later why. Um, <laughs> saying, I won't say too much about that. <laughs> but, uh, it was a shock to me when I actually seen why they don't like each other. Uh, but um, but yeah, when you go there, there's an expectation to do something. Mm-hmm. So it was great going there. When they come here, I, used, I actually used to live uh, near the beach. So a lot of the uh, Rangers fans would park there. Their buses were down there. And they'd walk through my area to get to the ground. So I realised, again, they'd wreck the whole area, you know, and mm-hmm. there'd, there'd be, they, they wouldn't be the nicest people to walk, but you wouldn't want to be walking by them in an Aberdeen pub, let's just say. <laughs> you, know, and, oh. you know, so, um, so yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a tasty game. It was a great game. And actually, my mother came to a Rangers game. Uh, we were playing Rangers at home, and she came to a game, and she couldn't believe it. She was there with my sister. And mm. they watched the bloody game, so uh, she was like, "How mad that was!" Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it was it was it was fun times. It was great. It was, but it was great to play in. You know, I'd never give it up for anything. It was the best time in my life. It was amazing. Um, you mentioned before, sorry, you went to celebrate on the side that fans were maybe giving you the most stick. How did you find overall your relationship with the Aberdeen fans was? Uh, I think it was up and down. You know, and I think that. When you listen to some of the stories from past players, and you know, even Gordon Strachan got a load of stick for his first few years, and and that's the way the Aberdeen fans are. They give players a lot of stick, and I've said this since, and you know, I haven't said it out in public. I don't think at all. But if you want Real Madrid standard, you have to go and watch Real Madrid, right? You have to recognise that football is a very hard thing to do, and it's also very hard to do when someone else is actually really good too. You know, and they're trying to stop you doing what you want to do. And you're trying mm-hmm. to stop them. You know, and players at a higher level, they can actually anticipate. And that's what makes them better. They anticipate what you're actually going to do. Mm-hmm. So you nearly have to double bluff them. So it's it's actually, and you have to do that really quickly. And then be fit enough to run around and take a knock. And so it's mm-hmm. quite, it, it's a very, it's harder than it looks. And I'm not trying to be condescending to fans. Mm-hmm. But it is a really tough thing to do. And I think sometimes... The fans can be a little bit unfair 
to certain players um, because it's a tough job. It's 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 pressurised, and these are young guys as well. Mm-hmm. And even look, I look at football games, and I'd be shouting at people and screaming, you know, and I'm hammering people, and then I go, actually, what am I doing? You know, mm-hmm. I have to. I, I sometimes remember how hard it actually is when you're down on pitch level, and when you're under pressure. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, so uh, so my relationship with the fans, it was like it, when I played well, it was grand. When I didn't play well, I got hammered, and that's just the way Aberdeen fans are, and most fans are like that. You know, most yeah. fans do. I do it. You know, but I sort of have to catch myself. Um, but I, I, I will say, um, Aberdeen fans expected us to be winning at halftime, and sometimes we'd go in at halftime, they'd be booing us if we're not winning. You know, <laughs> or if, if we're losing, then we're definitely getting booed. You know, mm-hmm. but uh, if we're drawing, sometimes we got booed. Uh, so, you know, look. There's a high expectation level, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, yeah. But that's down then to the manager, the people that own the club, the manager then to pick the players that he thinks can raise to that expectation level and and perform to the capabilities of the club. You know, if the club have money, they should spend money on mm-hmm. the right players in the right positions and and push to old firm, which, to be fair, I think they've been doing the last few years. I think they've done mm-hmm. very well, you know, with the money that's invested. You know, mm-hmm. um, so I have to say, I think Derek has done well, and I like the style of football that Derek plays. I, I, I was playing on the room down at St. Johnson for a little bit when yeah. I went there on loan, and I like his, his, his understanding of the game and how he puts across what he wants. And, and he goes through, he does video analysis, he, he does a lot of stuff, he's quite new age, so he actually is really good, you know. So I have to say, I like Derek, I like him a lot as a manager. That'll be interesting for some of the fans to hear, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, moving on, uh, who's the best, best player you played with at Aberdeen was? That's a horrible question to ask me. That is a horrible, horrible question. The best player with... You're killing me here. Can I name a few? You can name a few. Yeah, yeah. Feel free, yeah. Let me name a few. Right. So, that's even hard. <laughs> best I would say in the trenches we have a tough game David Big Striker by a mile Russell Anderson mm-hmm. yeah right oh my god right Russell bang bang right I I loved Russell as a fan but also Marcus Hoikinen yes the Great most show. Uh, uh, a silent assassin of a guy not loud is economical. I've never seen anybody so economical. The only player I'd say was is as economical as him was probably Kevin McNaughton. Mm-hmm. Does exactly what you have to do when you have to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think Kev went and played at the level he played and did so mm-hmm. well. Because everything that he had to do, he was just efficient, right? And Marcus was for me the best at that. He was um because he had pace, he had a torn of pace, he could dribble, he could he could win tackles, you know, he was solid. Uh, Marcus was amazing. Um, striker. It's got to be You're not really spoiled for choice at your time in Aberdeen with like strikers. Brewster, Crawford. I'm going to say Lee Miller for me. Lee Miller okay. was just a dream to play with. He would win a header against all the odds. His timing was a joke. His timing, I've never seen anyone time jumps like this in my life. He beat, I remember watching him uh, against Rangers. I did a radio. Uh, I did. A, I was working for the Aberdeen radio, I think North Sound, and mm. he just won every header. He won every header. I couldn't, and I said it to the, I think it was Dave McDermott. I said, Dave, this fella, you wouldn't believe this fella in in training. You just can't beat him in the air. His timing is a joke. <laughs> and uh, so Lee Miller, and then 
Jamie Smith and that mm, Copenhagen yeah. game, like Jamie Smith, you play any pass into him. And I actually did a podcast with uh, Northtown as well, and I talked about Jamie. Again, underrated for me. What mm-hmm. a player. So skillful, but what a hard worker. Amazing, amazing player. But look, there's loads. There's loads. It was a great squad. Barry Nick. Yeah. Like Chris Clark's a great player. Um, Even had Scott so Severin as well. Scott Severin. Rick Foster. So versatile. You know. You, That'll be a controversial opinion again. <laughs> well, I, listen. I know he went to Rangers or whatever. Listen. I don't think I'll ever forget that either. I, I played Call of Duty with him. But do you think I ever let him forget that? Right. So, um, so yeah. Rick doesn't get. He doesn't get away with Scott Mortar. He doesn't get away with anything. Um, but yeah, we had an unbelievable. I have to say, the players I played with there were were phenomenal. And even Noel Whelan, you know, I used mm. to watch him on telly um, mm. when I was in Ireland, when he was at Coventry. And mm. getting to play with him, his technique, his touch, the way he passed the ball. Oh, was, do you know what? It was a dream. It was, and I'll tell you who another one, a sneaky one that you mm-hmm. might forget about. Technically, mm-hmm. Derek, Derek Adams. Okay, yeah. Technically, you give the ball into Derek Adams' feet. He never lost it. He just couldn't run. You know, that was the only thing He just couldn't run. He was towing a blade caravan. But get the ball into his feet. Derek Adams was unbelievable. You know. Um, so yeah, look, there was a, it was a very, very good side. You know, some great players in there. Who was the best? I don't know. Who, I'm gonna, uh, give me a number one. I'm gonna say Marcus. Okay. Nice. I'm gonna say well, Marcus. It's it's good to hear you go through the team defense to attack as well. You obviously, um, you know, there was a lot of good players you played with in your time. What was the dressing room like? It was very good. You know, the dressing room was great up there. The lads were very funny. Obviously, everyone knows Darren Mackey was mad. Darren, Kevin McNaughton. Uh, but I had a great time in that dressing room. The lads were, were phenomenal. Mick Hart, very funny, very dry. Hilarious, mm-hmm. hilarious guy. Um, were, you, were you in the team with the Young Brothers? No. Uh, they actually came to... Dunfermline when I got mm. to Dunfermline and mm. then Derek came back to Aberdeen mm. so Derek and Darren are very funny so Derek was actually, I was actually texting him the um, but yeah so De- oh, do you know who I forgot and the, the best players I ever played with who I forgot I got to throw it no I think this fella is actually the best player who so, is it Jackie McNamara <sighs> oh, wow. Jackie McNamara I'm so sorry <laughs> I'm always a Celtic player People are going to have nightmares about the, the last time he played for Aberdeen. I don't think oh, they're going to forget that. The last time what? Jackie played? I, well, it's the South Queen South. of the South game that was didn't go down oh, well. Oh, bad memories. Bad, he's brought back a lot of yeah. bad memories. I don't remember what happened. Was I still well, there? Was uh, no, I don't think you were there. Yeah, I was gone. Yeah, it was, we, lost, we lost the Scottish Cup semi-final to Queen of the South 4-3. Right. Um, do you remember John I'm Stewart was at this stage? I was still very bitter at this stage. Yeah, well, John well, Stewart was playing for Queen of the South, and I think Steve Tosh was as well. Um, obviously, it wasn't the result we were expecting, and in, instead of coming over to the fans to apologise, Jackie McNamara walked straight down the tunnel at full time. So, yeah, he's not really held in quite high regard amongst the Aberdeen support after that. I would say Jackie takes defeat very personally, and he's probably mm. so disgusted. Um, and that's why that's nothing to do with the fans that's him you mm-hmm. know great great guy I was only texting him there the other day as well great guy but could not stand losing he hammered me over in Spain remember we played in Spain 
and mm-hmm. he was unbelievable in that game against Atletico Madrid. And oh yeah, yeah. But mm-hmm. he was like, come on, and he, he was at me the whole game, you know. But what a player! Play centre mm-hmm. midfield, right back, left back, centre back. You can play him anywhere. Brilliant. I'm still going to stay with Marcus. I'll stay with Marcus. Right, Jackie, close second. Right. Okay. So go on. Sorry, okay. moving on, moving back to where we were. Sorry. Yeah, well, um, I was going to touch on the the 05-06 season briefly before we just uh, move on. So I, I don't want to take up too much of your time. You've also been generous to, You're okay. to, don't worry. to spend time with us um, speaking through memories. And there's lots of great stories we've enjoyed so far. Um, just in general, I'd be eager to see how the 05-06 season went for you. Um, you spoke about the games against Rangers and how much Calderwood hated um, them at, during his time at um, Aberdeen. We went undefeated against Rangers that season, I noticed. You've already stolen my opportunity to speak about your sending off against Motherwell, but it's good to see you've, you're still not over it um, all these <laughs> 15 years on. Um, but you had quite a good pre-season um, that year. Uh, the first game you played, you came on two minutes against Huntley and scored. Um and then you also scored a volley, which you talked about before we started recording, that you were very good at scoring volleys. Um, I was against Babaric. I think that was on the German-Dutch preseason tour. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, over in Holland. Yeah, Jimmy liked that's a trip to Holland. Scored. Yeah, that was the best goal I've ever scored in my life. <laughs> Honestly, even in the little games, the training, that was the best goal I've ever scored. So Barry Nichols, Barry Nicholson took a free kick and he zinged it. And it sort of came over my shoulder. Now, I'm not joking. It was Marco Van Basten-esque. It came over my right shoulder. And I remember Russell was right in front of me. And it sort of went over his head. And I just thought, you know what? I'm not even going to bother trying taking this down. I'm going to just belt it. And I volleyed this thing across the keeper into the far side. It was an unbelievable strike. So uh, that was the best goal I've ever scored in my life. And I think someone caught it on their phone. Ne- mm-hmm. I think it was, it's on YouTube or something somewhere. Someone caught it on their phone. But uh, I was disgusted that there was no proper camera there to catch that because that, that would have went up on my wall, you know, that, <laughs> that goal. Um, but, yeah, so I, I did all right in that preseason. That preseason was a very good preseason. I sort of got my head together. Mm-hmm. I had a great – I did a lot of uh, – I did all the fitness runs. I was flying fitness-wise. I was, I was doing great. Um, and, yeah, it was a great start. And Jimmy was very happy with me um, on – in the preseason, he had a couple of chats and he said, "Listen, you're doing very well. You're you're on it now. You're back to normal. You're you're doing very well. Just keep it going." And I think that was the that was the season I did my hamstring, is it? Or no, uh, I, did my I did my shoulder that year. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I um, do you know what happened? How I did this? So and I had been playing so well. That's what I've been playing brilliant. I'll never mm-hmm. forget it. Um, I, w- I was really progressing. There was talk of me going to the Irish setup as well because I was really mm-hmm. starting to come on and get because I was I was on standby for Ireland at Dunfermline and okay. I picked back up performance again. I was doing very well. I was getting fit and uh, we were doing set pieces on a on a Friday and Barry Nick whipped the ball in. So that's what he, his thing was to whip the ball into the front post. Mm-hmm. So I able to make a run sort of across the keeper and I was running across and I jumped. And Ryan Essen came out to try and punch it, and I nailed him with my <laughs> elbow right in the chest, right? I thought I killed him, right? He hit the ground. He's, he's trying to breathe. And I was like, oh, my God. I'm like, what am I after doing here? This is bleeding training, right? And everyone's like, Richie, you're a bit of a bit of an asshole, you know? I was like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry, right? So anyway, you got up, and I sort of had to go easy. But 
the same thing happened in the game. So Barry was whipping the ball in and I ran for it and I jumped. And as I jumped, I thought, you know what, I'm not going to make that. So let me pull out of it so I don't give a free kick away. Little did I know their keeper was coming out to do me. So as I'm coming down with my elbow relaxed, he came up and hit me elbow and I popped my shoulder. Now, when I landed, I did a bit of a somersault and I landed and I thought, I'm injured, but I think it's my leg. So I got up and I sort of hobbled off. And I thought, no, my legs are all right. So I went back on and I, I kept playing. So I tried to jump for another header and my arm wouldn't move. So I signaled to the benchers, like, lads, I think I need to come off. So I went off and when I went into the dressing room, I took my short off and the bomb was up here. I started crying. Right? I couldn't believe that that's what I was looking at with my shoulder. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I had to get an operation and that was, that was sort of that. And then the operation got infected. And that was another big hullabaloo. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got infected. I had to go in for another operation. And uh, that was a good, that was a good, I think that was about a six month, seven month ordeal with this shoulder. It eventually got fixed. And then I got back. And I got back. I was running. I was feeling, I was starting to get back to normal. I was feeling great. And uh, I played in the last couple of games of the season, I think. I think I played against Celtic. Yeah, you did. That was the um, only time we actually got a point against Celtic that season. Yeah. Um, two all draw. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that was, again, that was one of my best games for Aberdeen. I thought I was brilliant that day against mm-hmm. Celtic. Um, I did really, really well. I was so sharp. I was so fit. I felt strong. Again, I thought that, I think it was Aidan McGeady, was it? I was playing against him. Yeah, it was, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I thought he is never getting by me. And he tried to do me a couple of times. I just took the ball off him. And I thought, this fella is not getting by me today. I think he might have done me twice uh, in the <laughs> game, which he would usually do people about 20 times. Yeah. Go around you three times. Yeah. Um, and I just thought, I'm just going to let him have it. And if he knocks it, I'll just do him for pace and I'll take it off him. Uh, and I thought, even on the ball, I thought I played very well that game. Um, and then, come, again, the pre-season did all the... Pre- I think we went to South Africa that pre-season. That was, in, that was the next season, 2006-07, the South Africa pre-season, yeah. Yeah, so we went, we went to South Africa that... What was that um, like? In that pre-season, that was great. That was great. Uh, what a trip. And I actually had a pop-up. Do you know, uh, what's that guy's name? It was a reporter, Charlie. Oh, Charlie, uh, is he still reporting for that? that, that the guy that works for the Evening Express. Charlie Allen, is it? Yeah, yeah. Charlie Allen, yeah. Mm-hmm. So he had been slaughtering me for the whole two years, right? And unfairly, in some games, I thought, and some games, do you know what he did as well? I played very well in one game. He didn't even give me a mark. He, he omitted my name from the team, right? Damn. And I was about an eight. I was about an eight or a nine in this game. <laughs> I thought this fella is actually trying to do. He's trying to do me, mm-hmm. so he just can't be. He can't take himself to say Richie did well. Mm-hmm. So I caught him. I caught him on that preseason. We were having a few drinks, and he comes into the pub. Mm-hmm. Now I'm sitting with Jimmy, Jimmy, Nick, Sandy Clark, and he comes into the pub and sits down, and starts talking to them. That was it. That was it. Because I'd never really talked to him, mm-hmm. so I hammered him. I lambasted him in front of everyone, and I told him, "Listen, you better start being more." fair which are criticisms of me right um and sure enough he wrote a lovely big article that was really nice about me and uh <laughs> and the, the the sort of the the ratings improved for a bit but um but yeah that pre-season we went back we went back with them uh we did very well and i came back from that pre-season and the first game we played in Vernes, i think it was and i think it was in Vernes, and i've I, I been struggling with my hip flexor a little bit from the runs mm-hmm. we were doing in mm-hmm. in, in uh, africa and I didn't play that well. I, and another thing about Jimmy, he didn't like negative play. 
So I because I didn't want to clip the ball long because my hip mm. was at me, I kept playing it back to Russell. So Jimmy went mental at me after the game. Well, he went mental. I think we lost one nil or something. I can't remember. No, I'm I'm well. I've got to thank um, the AFC Heritage site for get getting me a lot of these stats and I'm just looking at it just now. We drew that game one all and you did play the full ninety minutes in that game. It was a, yeah. a last minute a last minute equalizer that they got in that game. Yeah. So Jimmy, even though we drew, Jimmy absolutely hammered me, right? He hammered me. He said you kept going back to Russell playing the safe game. So, so you're gonna train on Tuesday. Or you're gonna play the re- reserve game against Inverness, up in Inverness on the Tuesday. Now bear in mind I was already struggling and I was like, oh flipping hell okay. So I went and played that game, and that's where I tore my hamstring. I tore my hamstring off that um, that game, and that was it. That was pretty much it. So yeah, because yeah. you played in the there was a preseason game um, after the Inverness game against Everton, which I'll always um, which I remember uh, well. Yeah. The first time seeing the the like a Premiership team, um, yeah. you played there as well. Um, but you know, you spoke you speak about the hamstring the hamstring tear that you got. Um, I think it's safe to say um, that that was, you know, you missed a large part of the season through that. Um, you know, we spoke before again recording. Um, there was articles about how you struggled to come back from that injury. Um, I believe you hired your own personal trainer to help you uh, in that recovery. Um, and obviously the season went well on the pitch for Aberdeen. Ultimately, uh, we qualified for Europe, but you were quoted as saying that you kind of um, now apologies if this is the wrong quote. Um, I'm reading off the Daily Record, and we all know what their journalism's like. Um, you you said you were a bit um, embarrassed to be on the pitch celebrating with the lads for qualifying for Europe because you felt you hadn't played your part in the season in getting us there. Yeah, I I don't think I fired off at that quote. Uh, I did. I felt terribly embarrassed. Um, I just felt I didn't I didn't offer anything to the team. And you don't know, I don't like taking credit for other people, you know. Um, I want to mm-hmm. do well myself, but um, but that was a horrible, horrible year, and that, yeah, that sort of finished me off. Um, that injury that was the start of me having to retire. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so that's that's a I probably won't go on to it with this in this interview, I won't go into it into too depth unless you ask me about it specifically, and I'll go into it. But um, but yeah, that was a horrible, horrible year, and uh, for a young guy to get an injury like that, because what I, I I didn't actually find out what it was until I actually moved to London, you know, okay. ten years later, you know, I seen a physio down here that looks after all the top guys, and mm-hmm. he told me actually what it was. So I had such a long time of not knowing what the problem was and not understanding, and you know, it was a very 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 tough time mentally, emotionally, and physically for me. Um, yeah. And to just not play a part in the team, I just felt horrible. Like Ricky Foster went in and played left back. You know, and I felt Ricky took my place. I'm sitting there looking at him playing so well because he's two-footed. I mm-hmm. thought he's done unbelievable. He played. He, he, he might have got player of the year that year. I can't remember. But he was unbelievable, you know. And, and it just goes to show you how quickly you're forgotten and how easily other people can raise their game to fill in. Yeah. So of all the information and all the advice I give to young players that I come across to now and even anyone playing football now listening in, uh, don't get injured. And that is... That is it in a nutshell. Just do not get injured. If you're not injured, you'll always progress and you have a chance. And you can mm-hmm. get fitter and you can technically improve. But as soon as you get injured, that's gone. None of that is going to happen. 
So mm-hmm. yeah, just don't get injured, you know. Um, so yeah, if you want me to elaborate, I can elaborate. If you don't, we move on. We talk about ourselves. We can do that. And Calm, you've got a question that links into to, to the injury. I think you know, um, Richie. Well, we won't pry too deep into it because um, you know, as it's been nice of you to to at least mm. um, get into it in some light for us because it, it probably was quite a difficult time for you. We do have other things we want to pick your brains on as well. Yeah. I was just going to say before we move on from that, um, talk a lot of injuries. A young player, Aberdeen now, Scott Wright, who's been playing pretty well this season when he's been in the team, but he has struggled a lot with injuries. And just thinking, do you think there must be much better support nowadays uh, for players who struggle with that sort of thing rather than sort of in your time? Not to make you sound old or anything. <laughs> my knees will tell you how old I am. My knees are talking to me at this point when I stand up, the noise of them. But. Uh... <laughs> Uh, do you know what? I don't think there's enough support for players, mm-hmm. and that's that's just standard. We all know it in at every level, a Premier League, even a Premier League. I know Premier League players now down here that do not get the the emotional support that they should mm-hmm. get, right? So it, it's not there, and it's it does not enough emphasis put on it. There's not enough effort and money put into it. Uh, mm-hmm. For like the guy like Scott Wright, you know, a young guy in the Aberdeen squad. Aberdeen are not, are not made of money. They don't. Have, as far as I know, they don't have a counsellor that comes in and talks players through how they feel. Mm-hmm. They don't have anybody to teach these players what to do off the pitch, whether to go out drinking like the lads that went out drinking in the COVID-19 uh, yeah. lockdown. You know, like these are all things that, these are young guys that have a bit more money and more free time than your average mm-hmm. young guy, right? But you're also in the public eye. So mm-hmm. it's a very, very tough thing. And as a young guy that then becomes injured, when you're, when you're injured and when you retire, right, you're not the guy you think you are anymore, right? So when you retire, it's like a bereavement because it's the death of me as a footballer. So mm-hmm. when I retired, Richie Bourne, the footballer, is gone. He's dead, right? And it's a very hard thing to come to, come to uh, terms and to accept. And when you're injured, it's a similar thing because you can't be the person that you are. Right, you can't just go out and zing a football or sprint and you know and show other people how good you are and do what you love doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a very very tough time. So when you are injured, and you know people think that it's just easy to come back from an injury, you've mm-hmm. got to do the work. You've got to do the work to get you over the pain. So you've got to get the pain to decrease or go away. You've got to then train to where it's uncomfortable. You can feel the pain a little bit, and then you've got to come through that. And then you've actually got to get to performance level mm-hmm. right and be confident to perform and then actually technically do what you are able to do and you should be doing so there's a, it's a long process and if you don't do it right if the person that's looking after you doesn't help you do it right it can get very complicated and mm-hmm. then once so for instance if you had say a muscle injury and you don't rehab it right so you have the muscle itself you have the injury which collagen forms so scar tissue forms mm-hmm. that connection between the scar tissue and the muscle if that doesn't heal well and it's not aligned well so that the muscle can actually stretch and move that's going to keep reoccurring mm-hmm. and once that happens then as a player your head goes because mm-hmm. your confidence in your body goes your teammates are not confident in you and your manager is not confident in you and once the manager loses confidence in your your physical ability and your fitness you're gone you're done and mm-hmm. once your, your, your contract goes and it expires, you're, you're pretty much left. And you're left to your own device. And that's the worst thing about football. Mm-hmm. They only have to pay it till July. And mm-hmm. then you're done. You know, good mm-hmm. luck. 
So yeah. it's a very, very stressful time. And it's a stressful thing to get in. So the likes of a fella like Scott Wright, that's, uh, he's getting picking up little injuries. You just got to, I would give anyone advice that gets an injury, even a member of the public, go to the best of the best that you can get to. Mm. That whether you have to pay, whatever it is you have to pay, find out who it is uh, through your own research and other people's research and get the best treatment possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I know that if you don't deal with it at the time, you're gonna you're gonna struggle, and one thing can lead to another. So you can have a chain of effects from that one injury. So it's it, it's a it's crucial that this fella gets himself sorted. Um, but mentally and emotionally, he's got to talk to somebody as well because it's very very tough when you keep getting re-injured. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Well, hopefully he does have a good support network, and he he can come back um, fighting fit. Um, you managed to come back. Um, fit and play for Aberdeen again in 2008. We were in Europe and you got to experience some European nights at Pataudry. And But you also, you touched on it earlier, you played against Atletico Madrid in Madrid. Unfortunately, um, I couldn't get to that game because I had an exam. So my dad didn't let me go. Um, I did, thankfully. Um, but it didn't, didn't mean I could go to Munich, um, thankfully. Okay. Um, but... A 4-0 win against Copenhagen saw us get through, which again, you played in. The atmosphere, I'll always remember, was noisy, to say the least, with the Vuvuzelas. But what was it like those European nights at Tawdry for you as a player and playing in that Copenhagen game? I think it'd be good for us to hear, you know, a player's experience of that game. Do you know what? From the start, when we actually got to the club, there was people in the stand with the Vevezuela, you know, mm-hmm. going... And we got in and we're like, this is unbelievable. They're starting already. We're not even changed. So, you know, and then when we when we went away to Spain as well, just knowing and seeing all the fans mm-hmm. at the stadium on the way in, they were there early. There was loads of people outside. European nights, they're hard to explain because it just is a different atmosphere. And it is amazing, no matter who you're playing for. But with Aberdeen, it was so, it was so good because the support was so strong. So it's obviously mm-hmm. the biggest supported team that I've played for so I've never seen so many supporters supporting my team that I'm playing for as yeah. when I played for Aberdeen so it was amazing mm-hmm. for me uh, the, the, the the night in Madrid was phenomenal you know it was it was outrageous to play a team like Atletico Madrid and who they had you know mm-hmm. that was just uh, you just can't comprehend what it's like playing against them and they're so good on the ball. So you think, you know, with normal players, you can you think, right, he's going to take a touch and then he's going to probably go that way and then I'm going to have a chance to have a nibble. Mm-hmm. These fellas were just playing one touch. And you go to run, you take two steps towards him and the ball's gone. You have to go the other way. And then you have to go the other way. It's mm-hmm. unbelievable. And Diego Forlan was, he point to his foot to the defender. He'd say, right, play that ball from 40 yards away to me right foot. And your man would do it. And so on, I just play it one touch around the corner. It was it was unbelievable. It was and unbelievable. there was a, a young Sergio Aguero played that night as well. Aguero, honestly, I, you know, you look at them and it is like watching FIFA because they just don't lose the ball and they don't make mistakes. It's mad. It's mad how good they are. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, I'll never forget that. I haven't told this story in. I don't think I've told this story in uh, in like to any media or anything. <laughs> So the whole week running up to the game, right? Jimmy, Jimmy and Sandy. So the two Jimmys and Sandy are going through what we're going to do. This is how we're defending. This is how they play. This is what they do. They try to play a little triangle and play the ball in between the full back and the centre back. He goes to me, Richie, you're playing left back. Do not let that ball go in between you and the centre back. Right? Don't do it. Right? 
the whole week, right? The whole week he's saying it, right? So we go to the game. We're at the game. We're getting changed. Not even how many have got all my boots on? And he goes to me, don't let that ball go between you and that centre half. I go, yes, Gaffer. <laughs> While we're running out to the pitch, Richie, in between centre half, I say, Gaffer, you don't need to keep bleeding, telling me. So the game starts, right? We're only about two or three minutes in. And Maxi Rodriguez has the ball on the far side. He's playing left wing. Has the ball on the far side. And he turns back out and he's looking like he's going to play it back to his left back. <laughs> I look outside me and Luis Garcia is out on the line. And I check the ball. I check Luis Garcia. I check the ball. I check Luis Garcia. I'm safe. It's grand, right? <laughs> Maxi Rodriguez just goes and batters the ball. He zings it about 80 yards inside my shoulder, right? I'm thinking to myself, what is this fella doing? Your man's out on the wing. I turn. He's gone. I look. He's on me bleeding shoulder. He takes the ball on his chest and he's one-on-one -on -one with the keeper. I'm like, oh my God. And he hits it with his left foot, thankfully. And it just went by the post. Mm. I could feel Jimmy Calderwood looking at me. Right? All the noise of the fans is eyes were born in a hole and I thought, well, I'm going to have to look. I look. He's purple. The toy is there. He's like a, he's like a lunatic. Right? I'm like, oh my God, halftime is going to be horrific. So I played well. I played a very good game that game. Mm. Halftime. Michael Hart, now bear in mind, Michael Hart gave away a free uh, penalty against Sergio Aguero. What mm -hmm. does Jimmy spend the whole half doing, the whole half time? Shouting at me, right? <laughs> Nailing me for not doing what he told me to do. So, um, yeah, he hammered me. And I think, I think I was an easy one to hammer because I could sort of take it, you know. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of the lads would hear that and go, Jesus, we, okay, we better play, you know. So, uh, so we did very well. And, you know, we could have got a couple of goals that game, I'm sure, as you mm -hmm. remember. Mm -hmm. yeah. a couple of chances so um but yeah it was, look it was unbelievable it was brilliant it was a brilliant brilliant atmosphere and then the copenhagen game was just i had do you know what you look at steven gerrard and the goals that he scored and getting liverpool i feel that that game that we played was as good as that you know mm -hmm. like jamie smith's goal from 100 oh. yards you know <laughs> it, it was just it, it, and you know when rio ferdinand talks about ronaldo hitting the, the shot and going mm -hmm. pass pass Goal! Like that. You're thinking, he's not going to. And then, bang! You know, and it goes in. It was, yeah. it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. Um, and then the other couple of, is a second goal as well. Oh my God. Left foot. Right foot, mm -hmm. then left foot. The fella is just, he, he, he's unbelievable. Um, and it was, it was a fantastic game. Great atmosphere. And the fans were amazing as well. Yeah, it was great. And I think folk forget it was nil nil at half time in that game mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. And I'm telling you, they could have had a couple of goals early. Yeah, they could. Causing us problems with a long throw. They had a long throw artist, and he was nailing. I think he was zinging the balls in, mm -hmm. and we were we were finding it hard to deal with that. Uh, and did a couple of big lads, um, who are quite. And they also had Albach, and he was unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Dear, he was oh, yeah. only about five foot eleven, but he was so strong. I tried to grab a hold of him, and it was like <laughs> touching stone. I swear to God, I've, I've never touched anybody like that. I was like, this fella is solid. You know, mm -hmm. so um, like they had a, and they did Jack McGrawnkear as well. They did like they did good, good side. Then Breda Hangon as well went on to play in the Europa League final for Fulham as well. He was playing at the back. No way. That's yeah. who I think was was winning the headers and then uh, mm -hmm. they had Hangon. Yeah, I swear. They had him. I swear yeah. he's definitely. I remember looking on the program and he's definitely there. Whether he played, <laughs> I think he probably did. I think he did. I'm convinced. Oh my god! Yeah, they did a have team. a huge centre half. They had a huge mm -hmm. centre half that was coming up for the headers for them throws. Uh -huh. Flipping out. Well, yeah, like to to 
to get away with the first half like we did, and we actually played well on the ball. Um, and then the second half, it was just unbelievable. It was, it was a whirlwind. You actually look back and you think, I can't even believe that's what happened, you know. Mm-hmm. And then after the game, the, the dressing room was just mad. It was mad. It was unbelievable. Now it's been some party. Um, you've mentioned a few of them about Atletico Madrid there. Garcia, Maxi Rodriguez, Forlan, Aguero. First of all, how do they compare with guys like, like maybe played against first Celtic and Rangers, like guys like Larson, Sutton, Hartson as well? How do they compare between those? And after, you're not going to like this. Out of all of them, the one best player you played against. <laughs> I'm killing you, those. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Jesus. Uh, Maybe okay. we'll give you a top three for that. Maybe we'll give you yeah, a top yeah, three yeah. for that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, the the, um, the the way they play, I think Celtic had obviously a lot more British-based players. So, they would take two and three touch, but they still moved the ball very fast. At that, at that time, for me, when I first came to Scotland, Adam Fairman, I think... Probably yeah, Celtic. I think Celtic were pipping Rangers. I thought Celtic were a bit better. And then the next season, I thought Celtic were definitely better than Rangers. So Celtic were were the team, the, the best team in Scotland, in my opinion. I, I think they just had so many ways of haunting you. They had a couple of very good wingers, mm-hmm. and their strikers were huge. And obviously they had Larson. Their midfield, Neil Lennon, went a lot of side to side, but he played the ball in defeat. I think they played in front of you more. Mm-hmm. But they were just mm-hmm. big, and they just battered you, you mm-hmm. know. And then they'd whip crosses, and you had to deal with big fellas winning crosses. And they then they'd pepper you with long balls up to Chris Sutton or John Harrison, and you couldn't really beat them, and you couldn't get around them to win the ball. So as a defender, for me, that's probably that was that was really that was hard to play against mm-hmm. because it was just it was it was more of a fight. But when you play against Atletico Madrid, they're all small. Mm-hmm. And they they don't take any more than two touch. So you literally cannot get close to them. Now, another thing with Atletico Madrid, they let you have the ball as well. Mm-hmm. Like They'll say, well, you have the ball. What are you going to do? And they sort, of, sort of say to you, well, come on, do something. You know, we'll hang off and we'll hang around. But if we get the ball off you, you're not going to get it back for 10 minutes. Because it's, bam, 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 bam. it's, it's just popping you to death. And they, they suck you out of position. And they it's like they try and lull you into a certain sort of false sense of security mm-hmm. where they, they sort of say to you, come on out and get the ball, you know, and then you step out and then all of a sudden it's a, it's a triangle and then they're in, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? Whereas Celtic are just more direct and just bombard you, it's just a bombardment after bombardment, getting the ball wide, fast fellas, getting down the line, whipping balls in. Um, if you can cope with that and you deal with it, you can sort of, you, you know, if you if you have the defenders that can deal with that, you might get a goal at the other end, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that will, for me would be the difference, just the speed of pass and the physicality of the players and just the, the technical ability of Atletico Madrid is just, I've never played against any, like anybody else like that. It was it was a joke. It was actually embarrassing how good they were. <laughs> and now, yeah, who's the best player that you've played against? I'm sorry, I'm sorry to put you on the spot like that. Yeah, it's probably hard to narrow it down. No, I, like it's got to be, it's got to be Henrik Larsson because I actually had yeah. marked him one time. So it was me against him one game, and that was the game we won, by the way, right? And he didn't yeah. score, right? So that's why I think I can defend anybody. If I defend Henrik Larsson, I think I can defend anybody, right? So even now, I look at some of the games and I look and I go. I'd bleed and defend him now. So that's what I mean, me shouting at the telly comes mm. from, you know. But mm. but Henrik Larson was just phenomenal. But you gotta you do gotta say, um, like Aguero 
and Diego Forlan are also up there. But there was also some other unbelievable, like Stan Petrov. Yeah. Like, he, he actually followed me on Instagram. I couldn't believe it. And I, thought, <laughs> and I text him every now and again, how are you, Stan? You all right? But right. he was phenomenal. Phenomenal on the ball. Um, and fit as a fiddle as well. He'd come off the pitch, he'd be bleeding, sweating. But um, so... I think for me, Larson and Petrov were the best players in the mm-hmm. in the uh, Celtic team. Um, I was John who as well. I had to mark who was a very good player. Um, Nakamura, mm. yeah, what a player! What and a player. he pick a set piece. Yeah, but he, he didn't even try to run. It just like he floated. You know, he did. It didn't even look like he was putting effort. But he yeah. was very good. But yeah, Larson, Petrov for Celtic. Larson, Pipson, obviously. Uh, and then between Larson and Aguero, who would you say? I don't know who Actually, played who, who, would you, who would you say Larson or Aguero? That's a good point. I think <laughs> I would I would probably have to say Aguero because I'm a little bit younger, so from what I've seen, yeah. it'd be Aguero. Glenn, you've maybe got a bit more experience between the two. Yeah, well I mean Larson caused endless pain. Um <laughs> you know, watching him against Aberdeen. Aguero's not caused me any personal pain. Um but I think Aguero's Probably for me as well. I'd probably take Aguero over Larson as probably being the best player I've I've certainly seen. I don't know. I don't know. But Aguero was amazing. Just mm. Larson, he could just do everything. He could do everything. He could head the ball. He could hit right foot, left foot. If you remember his goal against uh, in the UEFA Cup final, the header from like twenty yards. Yeah. He just he just had everything. He he had it all. But yeah, Aguero was unbelievable. So I don't know. It's between them two. I said between mm-hmm. them two. I'm not yeah, well, we'll, we'll give you. We'll give you that. That's you know. It's hard to pick between them two anyway. So I think that's fair enough. We won't make you choose one or the other. But <laughs> um, Richie, again, thanks very much for you know taking the time to speak to myself and and Callum. And you know we're we're kind of coming to the end of the podcast. And I hope those of you that have tuned in have enjoyed all these stories that Richie's um re- recollected for you. Um, you know, me and Callum have certainly enjoyed listening to them. Um, you know, when you left Aberdeen. Uh, Richie, you know, you, I think it was in April you were told your contract wasn't going to be extended. Um, was that quite hard to to hear, or was there a certain part of you that was maybe expecting it, given the the injury problems? Yeah, you'd have to expect it, and I said it to the physio. I'll never forget saying to the physio. I said, if I don't get fit, they're going to let me go. And no matter mm-hmm. how much Jimmy loves me, and Sandy likes me, and Jimmy Nickel likes me, yeah. it, it, the club is paying me wages. They're not going to have a freeloader. And that's just, mm-hmm. that's standard. Mm-hmm. I, I, did, I just didn't seem to be getting any better. And I obviously I didn't get any better. Um, so that was very hard to take. And, uh, you know, it, it's a horrible thing to get told that you're not wanted. You know, and for anybody in any mm-hmm. fashion, you know, whether yeah. it's, a, it's a wife or a husband or, a, you know, any type of work. Um, because as a footballer, you're sort of, when you're younger, you're, you're always in demand. We need mm-hmm. you to play today. We want you to mm-hmm. play. Will you come and play for us? We'll give you this if you play for us. And then all of a sudden, when that turns and they go, right, look, you're actually, you're not worth it anymore. So good mm-hmm. luck. You know, we can't, can't keep you here. It's a horrible thing. And I didn't actually realize how depressed I was until years later, you know, and I'm still very bitter about it because, mm-hmm. again, I won't go in. I'll do it on another show. I'll start my own podcast and I'll go on that. I'll talk <laughs> about that there where I can take up a lot of time. But I'm still very bitter about leaving Aberdeen. And mm-hmm. even in, do you know, even in the last, the night out, we had a few drinks after that. After uh, We had our end of the season party, which the mm-hmm. club has every year. You have your few drinks. And I remember I was having a point with Sandy. And uh, he goes, Richie, 
we actually thought you were going to be the captain. We thought you were going to stay and, you know, we thought maybe one day you'll be the captain at some point, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think I have that I have that in me to raise my game and mm-hmm. to be a prominent defender. Because, again, yeah. in my head, I think I was the best defender of that club, right? Yeah. Like, I don't think any of them could defend the way I could defend, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, one, like, on the ball, I think, obviously, I'm not the, I wasn't the best player. But yeah. as a defender, in my head, I was the best, right? And I thought I had the best attitude, you know, but look at Considine, his attitude, unbelievable, mm-hmm. you know? And he is the t- he is that type of player, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that is the level that I wanted to get to. And I think that's what they could see, that they could see that in me, that I could get to that level, be consistent, be a good defender. And I think they wanted me to play centre-half because I was better at centre-half. They eventually wanted to move me inside, get another left, left back, um, and then it'd be... You know, toss it whoever in send a half then with you. But um yeah, it was it was a bitter pill to take. It's very tough, emotionally a horrible thing to hear because I loved the club and I loved all the lads. I was settled there, you know, it was it was mm-hmm. great. Um so yeah, for any footballer and it happens at every club, every season, people are told they're not wanted. Mm-hmm. And it's the best job in the world. So when you have the Copenhagen's and the you mm-hmm. know, all these big games. Yeah. But when that happens, that side of it happens, it is the worst. You just want the ground to swallow you. And Jimmy had to say to me, so he pulled me in the office and mm. he asked me a couple of questions that I thought were a bit weird. You know, and I thought, why is he bleeding asking me this? Mm. You know, because I was due to sign a new contract and then my mm. hamstring went again. Mm. And uh, he said, Rich, we're going to have to let you go. He said, the, the deal has been pulled. You're not signing a new deal. So I can't, I can't give you an um and it was like a it was like a knife in the heart i swear to god i went out to my car and i was crying in my car and i just felt like i was going to get sick mm-hmm. um, and i don't know if you've ever felt like that it's like it's like it's like oh, i can't even explain it it's like i think when someone definitely that type of feeling yeah, it's the worst thing you can you can go to well it's the worst thing it's one of the worst things i've gone through um mm-hmm. and to just to leave Aberdeen at that time, I just felt I was, yeah, I just thought I had a lot more, and I, I, I felt I had a lot more to do, and I just thought the injury just ruined everything, yeah. and I thought I had a lot more to show, and it just feels like, do you know what it feels like? Unfinished business that you'll never get to finish. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a horrible, horrible, it's a horrible thing to live with, you know, um, so yeah, that was, that was basically how that, how that went, you know. Yeah, that's possibly could be another thing. You know, they might need to look into for more support systems around that sort of thing, mm-hmm. um, to deal with players leaving clubs and things like that. I definitely think in football there's a there's a great need for that. You know, mm-hmm. we we don't hear a lot of stuff that goes on. You know, no. even I don't hear a lot that goes on. And to be honest, as a player, an ex player, and other lads that I know, like I probably there. Even though we talk, like I talked to Steve Lovell, he had to sort of retire. His ankle mm-hmm. stopped him as well. And we'll talk, but we'll never really talk. And I'll never really say, Stevie, how do you actually feel? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and how are you getting on? You know, and, and, you know, how do you feel about not playing? Because it, it's just sort of stuff we sort of don't really talk about, you yeah. know, as players. Like the wound you don't want to reopen, isn't it? Yeah. So there's a lot of fellas going through a lot of stress and, and you know, trouble that, and we don't really, and, you know, I, the football community doesn't really talk about it and acknowledge it. You just think, mm-hmm. well, Get on with it, because the next player is always coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just sort of forget, you know. We sort of forget yeah. about the lads. Um, but yeah, it's, it's something that I think needs to improve. And you know, there is avenues of improvement. There are people out there that are helping. You mm-hmm. know, there's a company called X Pro that do a little bit. 
the the PFA do a little bit, the FA down here do a bit. Um, but I, I still think more could be could be done for it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is it's, it's just it's just a part of football, and if players aren't prepared for it, it's a big shock. And that's another thing that I you know I'm trying to help players with preparing themselves for that disappointment or that injury or you know the the worry of when you are too old to play. Mm-hmm. You know, because it happens to everybody. Yeah. Yeah, and so moving on to life after football. How how is life after football? I think you moved into coaching, personal training, Mr. I smell mighty fine. Um <laughs> just sort of how how's that going? And sort of do you still keep up with sort of Aberdeen as well, how things are going? Yeah, well I always look at the games. Uh, I obviously I follow Aberdeen on on Instagram. I'm, I'm probably more on Instagram than I am on Twitter. I need to get back on Twitter. Um but uh yeah I like my first couple of years, I say my first five years our football was horrific. You know, I I'm very lucky that when I played semi pro in Dublin, I trained as an electrician as well. So I was I'm a qualified electrician. So I always sort of knew I could go back to that, but I didn't want to go back to it. So I I wanted to learn about injury, how to sort of recover from it to help myself, but also how to how to stop injury happening in other players. Because I didn't want anybody to go through what I went through. Mm-hmm. So I became a personal trainer. I did that for a few years. Obviously, you have the baggage of football for the first four or five years, which tends to be a lot of money that you owe out and uh, that you're trying to recoup because your your expenses are high. Mm-hmm. Um, so it took a bit of time. I moved to London. Uh, it took a bit of time to get back on my feet to establish myself in London. Um, and that I'd say then those first five years were up there with the hardest five years of my life. Um, and then you know, but I. I moved into a very tough gym to work in. It's a high-level gym, um, and you got to be really good. So I had to build up a little bit, get a bit stronger, uh, sort of look a bit better, and mm. um, have a bit more about me. It's, it then turned to me to actually sell, become a seller, and I'm selling mm. myself, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, it was quite tough to get your mind into money-making mode as opposed to just focusing on playing football. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not ta- you're not thinking about performance anymore. Now you're thinking about flipping hell. I got to make money. I got to I got to get back into sort of you know, civilian life, nine to five type thing. Mm. So, uh, so that was that was a tough transition. But once I got there, it started to pick up. I then, lucky enough, I I, I was able to fund my master's degree in strength and conditioning. Mm-hmm. So I finished that off last year, um, and I got a two one in that. So I did all right. Well done. Uh, and and then I've done me college, I've done me coaching badges. So I'm up to the B license on that. So I'm progressing now. I'm doing I'm doing quite well, making. A decent living, um, doing the personal training, uh, and then I've done bits with football clubs as well. So I was doing Swindon Town strength and conditioning last year, um, and so I've done bits. I was coaching a, a couple of kids teams as well. So I've doing, I was doing quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's all been going very well. <clears throat> Excuse me, but I just realised I couldn't just make a name off. I'm I used to be Richie Bourne, the footballer. No mm-hmm. one cares. Mm. No, no one cares. <laughs> you gotta keep moving forward, and you gotta keep progressing. <clears throat> Excuse mm-hmm. me, you gotta keep progressing. You gotta keep improving, no matter what you're doing. <clears throat> Excuse me, sorry. Um, so yeah, I realised I had to retrain. I couldn't just go into a club and say, "Listen, I'm an ex-footballer. Let me train your lads." I had mm-hmm. to get a piece of paper. I had to get some sort of qualification. I had to get more, and I had to improve. So, so that's what the process has been, and it's it's been a tough journey, but it's been a great journey as well because I've learned a lot. I've met a lot of amazing people, and when you really push yourself the luck comes to you, you know, mm-hmm. and things fall into place. And, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an awkward transition for a lot of players to go into normal life. But I, I think if you find something that you enjoy and something that has meaning and value towards your own life, 
you'll make that transition a lot easier, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and you'll be more successful. So uh, I think that's the good thing about me. I, I have a purpose. I feel I have a purpose in what I'm doing and, and I'm quite intent on achieving it, you know, and it means a lot to me. It means a lot to me to help people and make sure no one gets injured. So <laughs> that's what I'm focusing on. I'm fo- I'm, I actually did me, uh, I did me, me thesis on hamstring injuries. So I did a whole, I did a big, excuse me, I did a big 12 week, tra- uh, 12 week training protocol on training hamstrings. Uh, so like there's a lot of meaning towards it and it, it's great for me now to feel I have a purpose and it helps me not play football because mm-hmm. it's a big hole in your life when you're not playing anymore you know and then you you look at the results and you look at you know the team are doing so well and they're doing great you know I wish I was there or you watch a match and when I'm watching an Aberdeen game oh I'm like a lunatic you know <laughs> it's mad you know <laughs> it's mad I am I'm as bad as any fan so Rest assured, when every, all the fans are shouting, I'm doing the same thing, right? I'm doing, and I'm feeling the same thing, and I'm probably saying a little bit worse than what fans would be saying. So, um, so, so I'm there, which is when you're watching games. Oh well, no, it's that's that's great to hear, and it's it's also great to hear that despite you know the the struggles after leaving Aberdeen, not only do you still follow the club, but you've managed to build up something that's you know. You, you're now enjoying it in yourself and it, it is really great to hear. Cheers, lads. Yeah, it is. It's fantastic. I'm, 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 I'm very fortunate. I'm very fortunate to have played because there's better mm-hmm. players than me that never played to that level and never got to play in big games. So I do feel, I do count myself very lucky to got to where I've got to. So I'm very thankful. And, and you know, the Aberdeen fans on the whole were great to me. So it was, it was a fantastic time, you know, and uh, it's great to actually be able to talk about this now because I think a few years ago I wouldn't have been able to talk freely and yeah. being comfortable to talk about leaving and going through mm-hmm. what I went through and and uh, but I think now I'm starting to get over it and you do hold that that you know the bit of bitterness because you left you know but it's it, it's I look back on it now with a lot of fondness and it was it was an amazing time and I, I hope it was an amazing time for the fans and I think it was you know yeah. it, was a, it was a very successful time yeah it was it was a fun time um you know certainly we had we hadn't been through a lot of fond memories before Jimmy came um, to the club. So yeah, he did bring some good times back to the club. It was just a shame he never got to bring any silverware to the club that I think his probably time at the club deserved. Um, but Richie, you know, obviously you touched there that maybe a couple of years ago, you wouldn't have been able to speak as openly as you have to myself and Calum. So I just want to thank you for um, not only responding to our request to come on, but, but then following up and coming on and speaking so openly and passionately about the club, um, it's really come come across well how, how much the club meant to you. No problem, lads. Listen, thanks for having me and I'm uh, I'm glad to come on the show, you know, and it's actually therapeutic for me, so it's great. <laughs> Callum, that's that's the word we like to use when we're when we do our reviews, isn't it? Uh, therapeutic. That's just funny you should mention that. It's basically therapy for us whenever we do a podcast as well. Just get it out there and it's fine. But definitely echo yeah. Glenn's thoughts and thank you very much for coming on. I couldn't don't think we could ask for a better guest to share all those stories. Very open. First uh, first proper guest we've had on, I suppose you could say. Yeah, def- definitely. And we we have messaged a few of your old teammates, we've messaged Chris Clark, Lee Miller. Um, amongst others, Kevin McNaughton. Um, but you know, you were the first to come back, and yeah, as Calm says, we couldn't have asked for a better first guest, Richie. So, really appreciate you taking no the time tonight. No problem, Naz. Thanks very much. Thank you. All right, all the best. <laughs>